guys are here for. It's not just about the content you produce, it's the quality of it, the storytelling, the narrative, and also understanding how that works for you. I'd like to introduce our moderator for this panel. She is the founder of Ain't I Latina, a journalist and an entrepreneur, Janelle Martinez. Thank you so much. How y'all doing? Good, good. I see, you know, I feel like we can, some folks can move up. Like, this is the Latino Film Festival. Latinos, you know, we love each family, right? Like, let's get close. Um, but yeah, I'm, as mentioned, I'm Janelle Martinez, and I'm super excited about today's conversation because, as we know, content is pivotal in a lot of what we do. And by a show of hands, how many people would describe themselves as content creators? Yes, even though I, I would argue probably everyone in this room, right? Um, so I am not going to take too much time. I really want to jump right into this conversation and we have an amazing panel. So I'm gonna call the panelists up. Uh, we have Andrea Gumpf, Mari Carmen Lopez, and Aviel Aydel. Welcome them to the stage. Good morning, everyone. Hi, guys. Good morning. So I'm going to introduce uh, a little bit about each of the panelists. I'm sure many of you are familiar with them. Um, so to my left, I have Andrea Gumpf, who is a Peruvian-American writer and editor. She is the editor-in-chief of Remezcla, a leading lifestyle and entertainment outlet for Latino millennials. Prior to joining Remezcla, Andrea was a freelance journalist and worked at one of the nation's top immigration law firms. Uh, she holds a BA in Literary Arts from Brown University. Again, Andrea. Hi, everybody. We have Mari Carmen Mari Lopez, who is a Cuban-American television executive and artist, yes, an artist manager who has several production credits, most notably on cable's most watched docu-franchise, Love and Hip Hop. And most recently, co-executive produced the second season of WeTV's Hustle and Soul. She is also one third of Slick Rick's management team, and Slick Rick is one of the most successful British rappers in history. So, Mari. Thank you. And last but certainly not least, we have Aviel Aydels. He's an accomplished global digital marketing and analytics executive with over 12 years of experience at Univision, Facebook, Google, and Cultura Colectiva, driving business growth and sustainability for Fortune 500 companies through data-driven, informed business growth strategies. Aviel is adept at combining technology with strong business acumen to establish strategic vision and create long-term value identifying and fostering critical partnerships, building high-performing multifunctional cultural teams, and securing business growth opportunities. So give it up for everyone. Thank you. So we're gonna just dive right into this conversation. Um, when we talk about content, something that I hear often is that the content space moves so rapidly because of technology, right? Because of innovation. And so 
as you all being content creators, talk a little bit about how you stay on top of the pulse of what's happening with what's new, essentially, in the space. Can you when you say what's new, do you mean like tools that people can use or like Absolutely. where the culture and the zeitgeist is at? I would say definitely tools, but also like delve right into that. I think because there's so many different ways in which we can stay on the pulse. Sure. Well, in terms of tools, I think there are a lot of great outlets that I read religiously to stay on top of sort of where things are at. Digiday, I'm sure you guys are all familiar with it. They have really great newsletters that they send out that give you kind of the state uh, of video video and video distribution, the state of, you know, content and content distribution and all of these things. Um, one thing that we use a lot at Remezcla is a tool called CrowdTangle. I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with it. Um, it's a social listening tool uh, that actually I think was acquired by Facebook and um, now is free. So anybody can use it. It's really uh, helpful. And what it allows you to do is really build out lists and searches of the kinds of things that you want to monitor and stay on top of so that you don't have to do it as manually online. Um, and you can get really specific. So, you know, if I want to research um, what, uh, the Central American community in LA thinks about X topic, I could build out a search or a list um, and I can get uh, email news uh, digests that will tell me what that conversation is. Um, and so, you know, we do things like that where we're monitoring social media. Um, but I also, you know, have to just advocate for old school, like going out and meeting people. <laughs> um, Yes. Yeah. I think people um, in, an, in an age of social media and internet and algorithms and tech uh, think that that is really like you can kind of get the full story or get all the story just from sitting at your desk. Um, and I don't think that's true. I think some of the best um, leads we've ever gotten, um, contacts, et cetera, have been from actually going to things, meeting people, talking to people, meeting them where they are. Um, so I think it's a, really it's a combination of trying to stay on top of what's happening um, in, in digital space spaces and in digital tools, but also just using good old fashioned like social skills <laughs> and going out and talking to people. Um, I would concur with Andrea. Um, for me, for specifically what I do, it's all about telling um, stories of people in a very public platform. So, you know, social media has helped us cast folks for the show. Um, I've been with the show since 2012, so I've worked in all the shows at some capacity. But, you know, just like Andrea says, good old-fashioned going out there and meeting people and hearing their stories because we're all essentially our own content creators, you know, now in the digital space to where someone can put up their own commentary on things has led them to careers um, just by their own opinions and their own point of view. So I would say a combination of staying on top of, you know, whatever you're into, whether it's gossip sites, whether it's the news, um, but also going out there and just learning about people and, you know, being confident in your own stories uh, to create the content. So. so in my case, I am not a content creator. <laughs> I do not create any content. My job is to make sure that those people who do create content get it out there and that they get paid for it. Um, as uh, you guys heard, my, my background is not on, you know, it's basically focused on sales. It's, it's on ad sales and making sure we can monetize the content to the right people and uh, hopefully get advertisers out there and get their ROI for the bucks that they invest. Um, for those of you who do not know what Cultura Colectiva is, maybe you heard of them, maybe not, uh, it is a Mexican firm uh, that launched a couple years back. And it's called Cultura Colectiva because uh, basically the founders were into 
cultural things. They were into arts uh, and crafts, and they threw a bunch of parties in Mexico, and those parties became very popular because every, every, every one of these big parties, they were in galleries and in warehouses, and they showcased the people's work. Basically, they would bring in painters and poets and sculptures and whatnot, and they would showcase all of their art, and they would sell the art at the party. So these, these parties grew very quickly, and uh, they opened a Facebook page, and you know they, they opened a blog and whatnot, and suddenly they end up having more than 43 million followers as of today. Now, the reason why I'm saying this is because our job has now become uh, our job is now to merge tech with culture or with content. We call it contech, right? Content technology. Uh, the reason why I say this, uh, to come back to your point, is uh, when it comes to staying on top of trends, how do you stay on top of content or of things that are out there that you want to talk about? In our case, we have tapped more into the technology a technology piece of the business. Basically, we created an engine. There's a data scientist team in Mexico, and we've created an engine that basically has a social listening piece, but that also detects some of the topics that uh, people are interested in. So every time one of our publishers publishes one of their pieces or uh, creates a piece of editorial text or even a video, uh, our engine tells them, hey, if you're going to talk about cupcakes or if you want to talk about cars, you might want to talk about these certain components that are very relevant for the demo or the target audience that you want to um, reach. So in our case, it's a little bit more of an internal process than tapping into external resources, but that's, that's the case of Cultura Colectiva. Awesome. So for each of you, tell me, where do you see content creation at currently, and, and that includes like data, right? I think that informs those insights and how we create content. And where do you see it going in the future? And particularly because we're in the, we talk a lot about the digital space, right? And things can get saturated in terms of the amount of content that's out there. How, what are some of those challenges in creating compelling content? Anyone can dive right in. Well, I'll start. So for what I do specifically, um, I think it's a gift and a curse with the um, with the way that the uh, forums for being able to put out your content is made. You know, for what I do, it's very intricate storytelling. It takes a lot of time. And with the digital space now, I mean, anybody can get their news instantly. So, um, which is a great thing because we don't have to wait anymore for traditional media, TV, radio, the newspaper to report your stories. You can find out things in an instant, but at least for what I do, it's, you know, we want to hold on to certain information so we can make sure we craft it in the best way possible to tell the best story. But it's like, okay, once this news comes out of somebody either being on one of the shows or somebody, someone is pregnant, like Remy, we wanted to say that first, you know, like it just, it takes a little bit of like, oh, but so it either, it can help us because people want to dive into, um, oh, wow, well, how did this happen or what's going to happen after? But the moments sometimes get, um, you know, just taken away. So that's what, how it's affected us a little bit. But in the same breath, um, I think it's also helps us because a lot of times things that we don't know about, we find out first and that helps us in our storytelling of these shows. So, um, I mean, I, I love where 
our space and creating content is going. I love the fact that it's no longer traditional and have it having to be regulated. Um, you know, we can, like I said, build our own content and create our own stories and tell our struggles and not have to be restricted to, you know, timing or anything, your own YouTube channel, your own Insta story. It's a minute of your own POVs and you should be able to utilize that to create your own stuff and get it out there and you don't know who's going to watch it. So I would definitely agree with the blessing curse dichotomy, um, especially with reference to what you're saying uh, with data and how much data now is part of the content creation process. Um, you know, I think on the one hand, it's amazing to have um, that much information about where your stories are going, who they're resonating with, um, or even, you know, the types of tools that I mentioned before that help you to find kinds of stories that may not have been possible if you didn't have boots on the ground before. Um, so those are all things that are amazing, um, you know, tools that allow you to distribute your content in ways that you couldn't before. Um, but I also think that uh, the platforms that we use and the data can also pose a threat to the content because, um, and, and to the mission of certain places uh, because, you know, in chasing virality and chasing um, visibility, Sometimes you are looking at data to give people um, what they want, what they already know, right? Those are the things that people are, are already going to be more inclined to pay attention to. And I think that there is a fine line between, you know, meeting your audience where they are with what they want and leading your audience with things that are going to push culture forward. Um, and sometimes those things aren't popular, um, you know? change isn't always popular. Something new isn't always popular right away. Um, and an algorithm isn't going to be able to tell you that. Um, data, Google Analytics, et cetera, aren't going to be able to tell you that. There's something that's just, um, you know, an instinct. And I'll give some examples, you know, Remesla when it started, um, and for those of you guys who aren't that familiar with, with our platform, um, we are a Latino culture and lifestyle uh, outlet. Um, and when we started over 10 years ago, everybody thought that we were insane for doing storytelling in English for Latinos. Um, and there was like no market research that backed doing that. Everyone was like, what is this? Um, today, maybe that data exists, but at the time, it was just an instinct about how, you know, our community was interacting with one another. Um, you know, there are plenty of things that we've done um, that there was really no data that could have confirmed other than an instinct or a desire to lead culture in a certain direction. Um, and sometimes I worry about um, losing that when you when you automate everything to, to such an extent. Um, so I really think it's a blessing and a curse um, in terms of where we are today. Um, and that's changing every day. I mean, you, you guys probably know uh, digital media is in a bit of crisis right now in terms of finding a sustainable business model. Um, and I think that's going to lead us to relying less on platforms like Facebook. Um, and, you know, I think SEO might be coming back. <laughs> so that might open a whole nother can of worms. It's really hard to predict where it's going to go. But I do think that that's something that um, content creators have to be vigilant about is um, it, Data is helpful. It's 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 an inevitable part of of this business and where this business is going. But it can't be the totality of it um, because the, you lose that that human essence of of what storytelling is really about. So in our case, we see two big challenges. The first one is it goes along with our mission. We want to revindicate the image of the Latino or the Hispanic in in the U.S. Uh, as we all know, especially everyone in this room, 
us Latinos, we've always been under the, oh, yeah, you're Mexican. Sure, you know, tequila, uh, Cancun parties, and, you know, there's a lot of stereotypes basically uh, happening. It also, it also happens when it comes to editorial content. Uh, certain, you know, big TV networks have worked very hard for a very long time to create this, the stereotype of the Latino or the Mexican or the Dominican or whatnot as, you know, non-educated, potentially poor, is not into style, and so on and so forth. So one of our challenges is uh, that we are constantly trying to push back and to revindicate the image of the Latino publisher, the Latino content creator, as someone that is contemporary, that is relevant, that has great content, and that is not only necessarily for Latinos that speak Spanish or that are from Mexico and you know uh, are portrayed uh, as you know as a novella. Uh, this is content for everyone, uh, especially now that you know cultures in a, are in a way merging more and more. Uh, the second one is, as Andrea mentioned, how do you create a business model that not only pays uh, salaries or incomes of those that are, you know, potentially in ad sales, potentially us right here, sitting here, but the real content is being created by the people who are sitting, you know, behind a screen, 12 hours a day, creating a bunch of articles, and that they don't have the the they're not in touch with the business side of 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 publishing or, or content creation, so. One of our missions, our Cultura Colectiva, is to be able to allow these great content creators that either sit in the US or sit in Latin America that are putting a lot of their time and effort into creating this such you know, great content, but how do we create a model that gets their salaries paid and that they have they can make a, a, a good living with it? So it's a challenge, but uh, I, th I think we're getting to a point where uh, we we can we can say that we'll, we'll f we're figuring that out, and we're in, in a positive uh, place right now, and we can talk about that uh, later. Yes, we're definitely going to get into that, um, and and something that each of you highlighted goes to the point that Latinx is, and I use that term because it's gender neutral and it's inclusive, um, but it also is very reflective that we're not a monolith, right? So when you speak about Latinx people, we come from obviously different countries, but racially we're diverse, socioeconomics, geography, gender. Um, and so being that it's a blessing one, as a content creator, can also see it as, I don't want to say a curse, but a challenge because how do you create content successfully for over 21 plus countries or people and descendants from those countries? So my question for you all is, how do you successfully create content for Latinxes, right? And what are some successful examples or how do you tackle it and find that being successful in each of your your roles? Um, as far as, uh, I'll start, as far as what I do, I feel like the US market has not completely learned how to tap into our culture. I mean, I think especially with the big, the Univision's and the Telemundos that uh, I think in a way still cater to our great grandparents that, <laughs> re that came into this country, barely knew any English. And you know, the novelas that we all love are still playing now because it's not, it hasn't caught up to the times. You know, generations have 
been birthed in this country and now we are multilingual. We speak different languages and, you know, and it's like you said, you said a mezcla was a, it was an instinct, but it's like you're speaking English to a Spanish audience, but that's who we are. Millennials now, we speak both languages. I know a lot of households that, although they are of Hispanic descent, don't speak any Spanish at all, but we are still proud people of our culture, so you have to speak to our language. So I feel like um, there's a lot of catching up that the uh, media, form, you know, mediums of television and whatnot have to catch up to where we are today. Um, I would say as an example is, I mean, Love and Hip Hop Miami. Um, I'm very proud of that body of work because I was able to bleed my culture into what we do. And I'm an example of most of you guys know as a Mara Negra. You know, there's very real, um, very real issues of colorism in our community. And the fact that, um, and it's not talked about. So the fact that Amara was able to live her truth and live her struggles within our platform caused a huge conversation in 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 you know pop culture so and I'm very proud of that because it's something real that we've all seen happen to us or our friends at some point so um and we're going to continue uh trying to tackle some sort of issues within our community in these platforms so I think it's important um you know that we learn what's going on now and especially with the folks that are on top of these different networks and these different channels that you know it's no longer the old school way of doing things, we have to learn how to do things now that are different and new and innovative and it's going to create a trend. Yeah, I think um, this is where uh, building a, the right team, at least from the perspective of somebody who, you know, runs an outlet is so critical, um, you know, because I have to know what I don't know. Um, and I have to uh, acknowledge that my experience, my filter is just one among many. Um, and so it's not for me to speak for some of these other experiences. It's for me to make space for them and make space for the people who can authentically speak to them and speak about them. So, you know, we definitely make a big effort to build a team of, of content creators, you know, both full-time and freelance who are in all of these different um uh, facets of Latinidad who represent all of these different facets of Latinidad and who can help us to um, surface what are the important conversations, narratives, um, people to know, perspectives to shine a light on. Uh, so I think that that's super important. Um, and then, you know, it's it's always a, a combination of hyper-specificity um, and also then the things that are, I guess, more pan-Latino, the things that um, transcend that specificity and are things that connect us all. Uh, and that's really the balance that we strive for at Remezcla is, is telling both of those types of stories. At, at Cultura Colectiva, what we do is, is uh, tap into conversation. So in order to define what, what, how do we cater content to so many different uh, nationalities or, or ascendancies, um, we basically try to listen, as, as I said, through conversation. So we tap into all different outlets from our own and operated properties to, again, to Facebook, to Twitter, to our YouTube channels, um, to Instagram. And, and we basically suck in all the conversations that we see from people from all around the world, either in English or in Spanish. And then we segment and we, we try to listen what, what are the topics that are relevant to certain demos. Uh, and from those conversations are, are how, how we start creating content to these you know, Latinx audiences. We don't, we don't see, we, we try not to segment, oh, you know, the, the Puerto Ricans or you know, the Argentinas or the Mexicans, the, you, know, you should 
publish an article with certain keywords that are very likely to be familiar to certain you know nationality. We we try to stick to topics that are relevant, as you, as uh, Andrea said, maybe like pan-regional, pan, you know, pan-American type of topics, but at the same time, uh, be very relevant uh, by listening to what they say before we even say something about it. So that that's how we that's our approach. And I would definitely add, um, I know for myself, in terms of creating Ain't I Latina, that literally was birthed out of my lived experience and not seeing our popular, traditional uh, Spanish-speaking um, outlets, and even English-speaking, covering the Afro-Latino experience in like 20. 13. Um, and I have to give you a shout out, Andrea. You were the first, uh, Remezcla was the first outlet that tapped me to write a full-blown piece about that years ago. So I feel like as content creators, definitely know that where you see a void, there is an opportunity. Um, there's no challenge that is too big. And, and obviously that whatever you feel like you've been called upon to do because you've seen an issue, you can create that solution. Can I jump in to add on to that? Actually, um, I do want to say that as much as I was just like, oh, data is dangerous. <laughs> um, it's also super helpful that, you know, I think that one of the things that um, social platforms have ushered in is helping uh, content creators and platforms specifically to find and connect with what would have previously been considered niche audiences. So, you know, I think... Uh, even 15 years ago, um, a lot of publications were striving to be more general interest um, and, to, and to appeal to as big of a, a community as they could because they didn't have the tools and the resources to find what would have been considered to be way too niche and direct it to the people it matters to. Um, I can give an example from, from Remezcla, which actually was a surprise to us, but I think uh, a good sort of um, case study in this is many years ago, uh, one of our editors, who's from the Bay Area, where lots of um, Mexican-Americans and Filipinos live um, in the same communities, uh, had an idea to do a story about the ways that Filipinos and Latinos are primos um, uh, because of our shared colonial history. Uh, so she did this list. And you know, she had the idea. I thought it was cool. Um, and I was shocked at how much it had blew up for us. Uh, and it was because nobody was doing storytelling for the Filipino community. Like there was nothing that was talking to them directly. Like it, you know, it was shared by a lot of young Latinos, but more than anything, I saw so many Filipinos be like, yes, this is my experience. And I think that's a story that probably would have been considered to be too niche um, for a general interest publication in an era before there were ways that where you could kind of directly reach these smaller audiences who are underserved. Um, and that's, you know, kind of speaking to what you're saying, I think that's a huge opportunity or advantage that we have now is that um, people who were ignored before because they were considered to be smaller niche or outside of the mainstream, um, there's opportunity now for people who want to tell those stories and people who want to hear those stories to, to find each other. Absolutely. And sometimes it takes our outlets to signal to the more mainstream others that like, hey, there's an audience. And I think we saw that specifically with Amara, right? I've never seen so many like, not even people in Espanol, but people and all these different outlets really tap on not just her narrative, but like the whole story about, you know, this demographic within the Latinx community. So um, just because you brush something under the rug does not mean it doesn't exist. And I think it takes, um, you know, someone to be a uh, 
uh, very uh, confident and if not confident, fearless in telling their stories. You know, just because you guys feel like what you're going through or whatever your story is has no merit does not mean that there's not another voice out there that can relate to you. So I think now with all these wonderful platforms and social media, our digital space with the Hulus and Amazons and Netflix that understand that there's individual people with individual stories and there is a voice for them, I think, um, you know, that's why it's a blessing that these new things are happening now in the digital space because each of us have their, our own things to connect to. So, Absolutely. So I'm going to take it back to you, Andrea. Um, actually, when we look at statistically the, and I, I hate the term minority, but I'm using it in terms of, I guess, stats. So I'm going to put air quotes. Uh, more than half of, uh, as they say, a minority population in this country um, are millennials. And that is completely the space in which Remezcla moves in, and particularly Latinx millennials, as you being the editor-in-chief. So for you, why is Remezcla, you know, obviously so important to telling our stories? And where do you, or how do you see Remezcla adapting and growing um, in its storytelling as naturally Latinx millennials continue to grow? Um, well, you, you brought up stats about sort of uh, our place in, in the millennial demographic. Um, and so I'll counter that with the stat, which is I think under 5% of traditional newsrooms are composed of Latinos. So our representation um, is really small uh, in newsrooms and in media spaces. Uh, so I think that um, that's the first thing I would say about why I think spaces like Remezcla are so critical um, because we're a huge part of this country. We've been a huge part of it since its genesis. Um, and uh, and our stories are, are really not being represented um, or certainly not, uh, not with the nuance um, that I believe they should be. Uh, I think also, you know, given our, our political climate right now, it's more important than ever to have these kinds of spaces. Remezcla is not a hard news outlet. I think there are a lot of folks out there who are doing really great, important work highlighting, you know, um, human rights violations that are happening um, in spaces, in immigration in particular. But I also think it's important that the only stories about Latinos that are out there aren't about crime and immigration um, because that's not the only thing that we experience. Um, and so I think having a place that celebrates culture, that celebrates creativity, that celebrates innovation um, in Latino spaces, which is what Remezcla strives to do, is also um, a vital part of of depicting um, what our what our value as a community is, uh, you know, I'll paraphrase Juno, but I think he once said something like, you know, a monster is something that doesn't see its reflection in the mirror, um, and you know that maybe if they found a reflection, they wouldn't feel themselves to be so monstrous. Uh, so we're trying to be that reflection um, and that place where you can find uh, positive, uplifting storytelling about what young Latinos are doing and will do um, in the future here in the US and, and in the whole diaspora around the world. Um, so that's why I think it's critical uh, to have spaces like ours. Um, and also because it's not just the stories, but the people who are telling the stories. I think, you know, we, my personal mission and, and part of our mission as an organization is um, to foster more Latino talent. You know, we have, I think, more obstacles than um, 
than you know the Anglo community does. Uh, you know, socioeconomically, uh, getting into uh, college and graduate school, um, getting internships, which a lot of people you know can't afford or access, getting access to career networks that would help you get a foot in the door. Um, a lot of those things are inaccessible to Latinos, and so I think Remezcla also has become a launch pad for writing talent. Um, you know, where they get the kind of mentorship um, that they might not be able to get. Uh, at another place uh, where people who I think um, have a bit of an advantage uh, end up uh, getting jobs more easily. So, so those are the reasons why I think it's critical. And in terms of where the storytelling is going uh, in the future, you know, I think a lot of our work um, in the early days was just about uh, educating uh, to a certain extent, like, hey, kind of like what you were saying, hey, Latinos are not a monolith. Hey, you don't have to listen to salsa and merengue. You don't have to speak Spanish. You don't have to like telenovelas. Not everybody eats tacos. You know, some of these things that may seem like 101 to the people in this room, but are, you know, still still um, stereotypes that persist to this day. I think what I would love to see in the future is um, not having to focus on th those types of conversations so much anymore and really just being able to, like, write about Latinos the way that any outlet writes about anybody where, you know, their ethnicity doesn't have to be the defining thing about them. Um, and it can just be a facet of who they are. I think that's sort of what we're working toward, um, as an outlet and what I would love to see just in general as a culture where we can respect each other's roots identity, but it doesn't have to be the only thing that defines us or something that puts us in a box separate from other folks. So, I want to bring it to television. Um, Madi, you referenced two big name shows, Love & Hip Hop New York and Miami, um, that you currently exec produce. So for you, or for any of the creators in here, right? Like, if they have an idea, how do you go from the idea phase to placing something on television? And if anything, what are some of the unique things that you have to be aware of when you are creating content for television versus another medium like let's say film or you know the digital space well i think what's important is knowing where you want to go i mean do you want to go into the broadcast which is the big four nbc abc um ABC, I don't even know how from Fox and CBS, or if you want to go into cable, which offers less restrictions and are not, you know, in don't have to be in compliance with FCC, um, you know. So I think it's important to know where you want to go. And now um, there's even more variety and um, with less restrictions on your on creating your content. So before, where things were very have to be followed by a certain protocol, now, like I said, you can put anything out there and you know if someone taps into it someone relates to it then you know that that can be your start of creating your own content um but as far as putting something on television i mean you know we we live in you know vh1 is a is cable provided so it's funded mostly by advertisers so we have to be you know whatever the shows that vh1 picks up has to be um kind of aligning with their brand aligning with who they are and that advertisers will be, um, you know, will also feel the same way as far as aligning their brands to the television shows that are produced. Uh, so, it, you know, it, it's not easy. It's patience is key. Just because you have a great idea does not mean that um, 
there's not a lot of other great ideas out there. It's about putting your work into it and, you know, put, put, putting yourself in the right circumstances to get your vision out there. I mean, for me, just to be frank, I didn't go to film school. My background is in music. Um, and before that, I got my degree in criminal justice. So I am all over the place with, you know, my my story into getting here. But um, I found I was I started off in music, uh, working for an indie label in Miami, um, and from there, I grew and I met, um, you know, Mona Scott Young, who helped me, uh, ushered me into the television world. So my my story was not one of like a, a typical curriculum or a typical forum. So I'm saying that to say like it wasn't it's it's not a, there's not a formula in getting something picked up. If something is of interest to somebody and they're in a position of power, then and they're interested in helping you, they will help you. If not, you know, you have to figure out where you can put yourself in a space for somebody to understand what it is that you're doing. I think now um, there's less restrictions on the content you can create because of all the other platforms that are out there. So uh, there's a great time for people that are artistic. Um, there still is a business behind it, but I think now there's a, a better way to get your stories out there, get your ideas out there without having to deal with the nuance of, you know, the restrictions that television and sometimes traditional media, you know, give you, so. I did want to dig a little deeper into something that you did say about um, specifically cable television and the advertisers. In conversations that I have sometimes with fellow content creators, the art is all that matters, right? So you're literally in a zone of like, I'm just, this is my vision, this is what I have to do. But we also live in a space where to fund our visions, advertising is something that you do have to keep in mind. So in a situation where, you know, someone has this idea and wants to bring it to TV in particular, like what advice would you give to someone in terms of keeping in mind the business opportunity. And Aviel, I think you can jump in with that one as well because we think about the, cre the creative aspect, but we don't always think about the business component of that. And that's something you got to learn about. I mean, quite frankly, it's just, you know, we are artists all in our own rights, but you have to understand the niche and understand the market that you're going after, understand the brand that you're trying to align yourself with and understand what does your idea, does your project align with where you're trying to go? I can't, love and hip hop can, you know, is hard to live on any, you know what I mean? Like you have to understand the market that you're in and where you're trying to go. And, but I think now the, the, the gift in digital media is that there's, you can create, you can use your phone and open up a YouTube channel and do what you want there. If you aren't worried about the business side of it, but in order to create a revenue and hopefully, you know, get your name out there in these forms that you want to have. You have to understand that there's sometimes there is restrictions in, you know, who you're lining yourself with and understand that an idea is going to be formed into 80,000 ways. I mean, when we first started Love and Hip Hop, it wasn't Love and Hip Hop. It was Chrissy and Mr. Jones, which is a show about Jim Jones alone. Um, and that was in the space when, you know, the Flavor of Loves and those type of shows were, you know, really popular. But as, um, and I'm speaking now, just being around Mona and understanding what she had to go through, um, you know, she had to understand the, you know, basketball wives and a lot of these other female ensemble casts were becoming something popular. And Jim wasn't somebody that wanted to really be on camera like that, but he had these dynamic women around him you know, his mother and his wife, or, um, you know, who were also dynamic in their own right and were more open. So 
things had to shift from the original concept to get to where it is today. So you have to understand a way to, yeah, still keep your integrity. My biggest thing outside of everything is keeping my integrity, keeping my um, my vision, keeping my what I stand for in line. But I understand that I have to help it service to where I'm trying to go to get the bigger voice out there. So, so to answer uh, the, the, the piece of the monetization based on advertisement question, um, I believe we're, we're, very, we're in very interesting times. Um, and I only say this because at this point in time, most people think, oh, if I don't sell my content to a big brand, and if I'm not on the right platform, most likely I'm not going to make any money, period. That's full stop right there. Now. Of course, today, uh, content creators and you know, bigger players out there uh, are constantly trying to cater or create the content so that it's sellable in a way. It has to uh, be created in such a way that complies with, with certain uh, brand guidelines, you know, family friendly, not talk about certain topics, not be related to certain themes, uh, don't talk, don't say certain names, not say certain keywords, and so on and so forth. What happens then? The authenticity of the content creator starts to get diminished into a point where, okay, so basically what you're trying to say is all I got to do is create branded content all the time, and hopefully my voice will be heard somehow because it's going to be hard for me to distinguish myself from you know, 10,000 people next to me. So then how exactly am I supposed to be me out there without having to comply with all these rules? And then it still makes some money so that I can make a living. So taking it back, the reason why I believe we are in such interesting times is because new technologies are being created, such as blockchain, which I'm sure uh, most people in this room have heard of. So why, what does blockchain have to do with anything, right? So one of the visions that, uh, this is personally me and some people that, I've, uh, that I relate, relate with and that are in the industry, the decentralization of content will allow, uh, in our view, content creators to be themselves and to be paid without having to go through the traditional line of having to tap into certain outlets that hold the budgets, that comply with certain rules, that will eventually trickle down somehow into my pocket. So I know we're very early in the in the uh, the blockchain area, but it is here to stay. So m my advice to content creators out there would be: keep your eyes open, don't settle for the usual revenue streams, and figure out how to leverage new technologies and new ways of decentralization of power in order for you to still be yourselves, and at the same time monetize your content that it's only yours and not necessarily being bended into somebody else's line of thought or you know profile and since i have you on the mic i definitely want to follow up with that and say what are some various ways like what are the various revenue streams when it comes to content creators that they should keep in mind and actually making some money right um and then also from I can imagine many people here are interested in potential like brand 
partnerships, if you are a content creator and some of those other things. So how do you showcase your value, right? Because for any brand, any company, they want to know what's the value that you're going to bring to this. And that's what makes it a mutually beneficial partnership. So for you and the fact that you've worked with these big name companies, and I'm sure you've seen um, indie like creatives and things like that, what are what stands out in terms of uh, showcasing that value? Right, so it is a tough question. Um, the, re the reason why I say this is there's, there's, at this point in time, I don't think there's a clear cut answer. Um, we see most of our revenue as a company comes from branded content. Look, look at me saying this, and at the same time saying, oh, it's not the only way. Well, at this point in time, creators make money on our platform thanks to their creativity and being able to partner with brands to create branded content. Now, uh, to answer the, the, the first piece of the answer to your question would be try to diversify. What does that mean? Uh, most of the people think of Facebook or Instagram as their sole line of, or sole outlet to the, the, the content that's being created. There's a lot of new emerging platforms out there that you might not even have heard of or that you think you don't even relate to that you could tap into. An example would be if you're into, let's call it um, entertainment for kids you know, type of content, most likely you're publishing your content maybe on YouTube or in, on Facebook. Have you ever thought about tapping into Twitch? Or have you thought about uh, potentially creating content on LinkedIn? Um, I'm only saying this because there's, there's other outlets that don't necessarily concentrate all the power when it comes to content creation that will allow you to diversify in terms of risk. So keep that, I'd say keep in mind that. Now, when it comes to cultura colectiva, uh, we think of uh, helping our creators succeed. That's, that's one of our underlying truths, not only on, on the editorial side, but also on, on, on video, on, on short film. Uh, now, how do we see this come to life? Uh, we want all creators to be able to monetize their content regardless of whether or not it's sponsored by a brand. Now, now think about that for a second. So how am I going to make money if there's not a brand out there that's going to pay for it? And again, I'm bringing back the topic of blockchain and potentially cryptocurrencies. Okay, so there are new models out there that, will, that are being built that will allow content creators to be paid for their content without necessarily being attached to a certain brand. And you can do this on your own. You'll be able to do this on your own without, need, without the need of tapping into big brands, having to tap into big brands or big publishers or whatnot. At Cultura Colectiva, what we're trying to achieve is this, the democratization of content creation and have content creators get paid for what they do, regardless of what brand taps into their content. So that's the second piece of my answer. Try to keep your eyes open into these new technologies because it is, it is going to happen. It's already happening. It's just a matter of how do I adapt into this new environment? What does that outlet look like? Where is my content going to live? And how am I going to get paid? So more on that will come very soon.
So we're going to be transitioning into the Q&A segment of things in a few minutes, but I just have one or two more questions. So if you've been, I know there's been a lot of gems shared, do for sure get those questions um, in mind, keep them in mind, because we are going to open that up in a second. Um, the last question I would ask each of you is about lessons, right? Um, there's been a journey that all of you have been on professionally um, to get to the stage, right? And so of all of the lessons that you've accrued over you know, your experience, your years, what is one tip that you would provide? Uh, maybe something that you didn't know when you first started, but are so thankful that you know now. Um, what is that one tip that you would provide to the content creators in the room? I can I can start off. Uh, I, I would I would say two things, and and they're very you know very short, so I won't take too much time. First is believe in yourselves. Nobody else. I know it sounds cliche. It sounds you know repetitive. I'm sure everybody says it all the time. Just believe in the stuff that you create. That's that's number one. Second, take the risks. Those people who don't take the risk and tap in, into new, new platforms or new forms of uh, content creation or even into new networks, you'll never know what, where, where you're, you're going to end. So as long as you know what you're doing, you believe in the type of stuff that you're creating and that you take the risks, I believe that anybody can do a great job in making a living, you know, t uh, uh, you know creating good content, being successful. Uh, that, so that, that's the only two things that I would suggest. I would say um, two two things as well. I would say surround yourself with people that really, really help push you because we're all human beings at the end of the day. We all get discouraged. We all go through personal obstacles that can deter us from where our end goal is supposed to be. So I would say, you know, find, you know, and it doesn't have to be a, a big group. It could be, you know, your family, your man, your girlfriend, you know, whatever it is, find someone that ultimately is going to push you when those times are hard, because that's going to help you in the utmost way. I mean, I would speak from example, I moved up here seven years ago from Miami, not knowing where was gonna happen in my life. I was working with Mona, but I was like, I don't know what I'm gonna, you know, I just don't know, I don't know. I was like, I was in a really messed up space in music. Um, I was at an indie label that was not um, paying me, quite frankly, you know, and I had a lot of personal endeavors that happened in Miami that I had to overcome. I moved up here with, um, trying to gain a refreshed mind state, so to speak. Um, but I had core people. I had my mother who understood because we know Latinos are very like, don't leave, you can't leave my side until I die. You know, I had my mother who understood, you know, was not happy with the fact that I had to go, but I had to leave because Miami, I had a ceiling in my life. I'm from Miami and, you know, I, I just had a lot of things that were just not happening for me. So I moved to New York, um, not sure, but knowing that something was just going to happen. And it did, you know, and, 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 and I met someone a year after who truly believed in me and, you know, outside of just my workspace, you know, and, and I went to Miami with a force and now I'm 
co-executive producing a show in Miami when, in essence, I didn't wasn't making no money. I wasn't making nothing in Miami, but now I'm going back and I'm, you know, doing something with it. And it's just like, you know, just really, and, it, and if it wasn't for my mother and if it wasn't for my man and if it wasn't for my boss who ultimately believed in whatever my path was going to be, you know, in those times of discouragement, then I wouldn't be here today. So that's the first thing I would ultimately say is surround people who really, really believe in you as a person. Um, and secondly, don't get discouraged by the no. I've had a lot of no's happen in my life. I'm sure we all have had no's that happen in our lives. Um, don't get discouraged by the no. I mean, as cliche as that may sound, like, you know, your failure is only um, an obstacle to your success, you know? And and when you're, when you're your weakest, you're your strongest because you have to push through whatever that feeling is to get to the other side. Um, so, and I think relating it back to what I do, I feel like we tell stories of the people who don't have a voice, who people didn't believe that this person can be an artist or this person can be a successful stylist or this person can make it in the music business. I feel like we help those people come out of their shadows or come out of someone else's shadows and live their own truth. And I think going back to what he said, you know, just believe in yourself and believe in whatever it is your path is because you'll eventually get to where you need to go. And all of us have our own individual formula. Just the way Andrea made it is different from my story is different from his story. So we can give you the gems in the world, but ultimately you're going to figure your own sh stuff out, you know? So uh, I guess my advice, one piece of advice would be don't be afraid to fail and actually celebrate your failures. Um, I think it can be a scary time. I, I mean, the creative process is vulnerable no matter what in any point in history because it's so personal. But I think now in particular, um, it can be a scary time to put yourself out there and to mess up. Nobody's trying to get dragged on Twitter. You know, it's it can be nerve wracking, um, especially when you think that you're you know going contra la corriente, like you know when you're when you're going to say something that might ruffle some feathers. Um, in my personal experience. I have gotten just as much, if not more, out of my failures, and there have been many, um, as I have out of my successes. Those are the things that um, make you learn, make you grow, um, push you forward. So uh, I would just say, you know, don't, don't be afraid to fall on your face. Anybody who's ever succeeded, succeeded because they fell on their face um, first. So that's, that's just a part of it. Um, I think another thing, just like on a creativity level, uh, I would say... Um, it's hard to get over feeling like your stuff isn't good. Um, and that's like, I think, uh, an obstacle in the beginning that a lot of creative people deal with. You know, you, you have these aspirations, you have um, these things that you look to that you feel so inspired by and you wanna reach that level. But the only way to do it again is through trial and error, through making things that probably aren't good at first and just keep going and keep going until it gets better and better. And a lot of people, um, I think, aren't able to push through that initial phase of feeling like what what they did wasn't up to their standard and, and they get discouraged and they give up. That's also part of every person's creative process. Before there was a banger, there was like 12 drafts that sucked um, or more, or maybe it's not a draft because you're making a movie or whatever other um, you know medium you work in, but that's also part of the creative process. It's a tough part, but just push through that um, is, is another piece of advice. Um, and what else? I guess I would say, uh, for me personally in my life, I think a big lesson was um, not to wait for somebody to give me permission. Um, in the beginning, I, I felt like I didn't know what I was doing and I needed somebody to kind of 
give me the okay to just go for it. And you don't need that. Um, just, just do it. Just try it. Um, I think those things are all, are all interconnected lessons, but it's sort of like, don't be afraid to try something you don't know how to do. Don't be afraid for it to be bad or to fail at it and just keep doing that because eventually it's going to improve. It's going to get better. And that's really the only, the only way out is through. Um, so that would be my, my advice. Yes. All the gems. I hope y'all had your notepad, hashtag, however you're, you're capturing all of that. Um, so now we're going to bring it to you all. I know there's probably some questions. I did see a hand back there. Um, so I'm going to just run this mic your way unless there. Oh, actually, OK. I see there's a mic. Whatever you feel comfortable. There's a mic right over here. So that's probably the best. Yeah. Oh, you have. OK. Check, check. Uh, my question is for Aviel. Um, you mentioned these creators that are finding alternative platforms to monetize their content on, and I wanted to s learn about examples of that and if you could talk about specific people. Um, and then I had another question also for Andrea. I love Remiskla. And um, just what do you think the barrier is to keep it from going to become the next powerhouse um, in some of the things? Because I think you're filling an amazing void in the space. And I, I'm African-American, and I love it. <laughs> so I, I just wanted to know like, what you see as your biggest barrier right now. So. Sure. Um, I think a lot of what we do at Remezcla uh, is oriented around discovery, helping people to discover new things, um, new uh, artists, new cultural movements, um, Etc. And I think that it's hard to to get people to take that first leap sometimes, um, especially again in an environment where um, sometimes platforms to distribute your content either rely on on virality or um, rely on some level of familiarity. Uh, so I think that uh, our that's that's been our challenge is like how do you um, get somebody to take that first step to be curious about something that they uh, don't already know about or that may be a little bit unfamiliar or new to them. Um, and actually, that reminds me of another piece of advice, which is be curious. Everybody be curious. Uh, that would be another big piece of advice I have as like a creative person, um, as a content creator. I can't tell you how many things, um, how many things are interconnected that you wouldn't think are. Um, when you only focus on what you think is your one niche or your one lane. So be curious across the spectrum, um, and, and that will bring a lot of things to you. But I, I would say that that's a, that's a challenge for us, is, um, is f solving the problem of discovery. How do you, one, how do you find something that you don't know exists? Um, and two, how do you get other people uh, to care about it and be interested in it? That's the thing that we sit around and do every day with our editorial team um, is try to find the things that nobody else is talking about and figure out how to package them in a way that will get other people to care about it. So in, in, in my case, uh, to answer your question, um, at this point in time, I cannot say of one platform that uses blockchain to allow people to get paid or to earn money uh, in a de decentralized way while creating content. The reason why I said keep your eyes open because certain platforms might come about is because I, in conversations with other people in the, in the landscape from a tech perspective and from a business perspective, you can tell this is what's coming next. Because the question was, where do you see this happening? What are the future challenges? What, where do we see monetization of content you know, happening in the 
foreseeable future. That's what I understood from the question. So to answer the question, unfortunately, I don't know right now of anyone that is monetizing like that. But I do know that there are players in the space, without calling out names, um, that are that are working on these new revenue models for content creators. So my advice was just keep your eyes open because this will come about very quickly. So you are aware of them and so that you, you, you know how to identify them once they're out there. We ourselves are uh, trying to work this through and trying to figure out how to tap into those technologies within Cultura Colectiva to be able to pay and to help content creators earn money and, and be able to be successful uh, while at the same time not being attached to a centralized platform, be it you know Twitter or, or Facebook or, or, or YouTube or Snapchat or whatnot, one of the big you know any of the big ones. So keep keep your eyes open. That's that that was my my advice. Sorry, I can I don't have more information on that on that at this point in time. Sorry. Check, check. Good afternoon. Thank you for your time today. My name is Sydney Valerio. My question is, uh, what are you currently on your platform um, or in your field uh, seeing as brushed under the rug? As a content creator and an artist um, and a member of this community, I know firsthand here in New York City, but I'm curious about the pockets that you navigate and what do you think still needs more discovery, exploration, content? Thank you. Um, I, can, I can start off if you guys are okay. Um, so what, what we're experiencing, and it's not necessarily very much talked about out there, meaning, yeah, maybe brushed under the rug and as if, you know, business is as usual. Um, we, as a content creating uh, company, we rely, we rely on big, big players, especially on social media. So whenever there's a tweak in any of these big social media platforms in terms of their algorithm, it, it, it changes dramatically the way we as, as a publishing platform operate and how we monetize. And it's not, I, I, I personally believe that it's not necessarily talked about as much as it should and as much as people should be aware. Uh, why do I say this? If, if you know, any social media uh, decides not to, you know, or to stop, to stop promoting certain types of things or to change an algorithm so that in, in a way that you know, certain shares or certain comments or certain metrics are not considered when making something go viral, which is basically what most people want to do when it comes to content creation, then it hurts the way your content's being distributed. However, you know, there are certain media outlets that talk about it. Oh, you know, certain, such and such, they just changed their algorithm. And oops, gets what? Now this is not going to be considered when it comes to being relevant, so, be good, so it goes viral. So, you know, only these components will, will be taken in account. Now, what does that mean for people that create content? It might be that certain day, one of their publishing pieces, one of their, you know, posts might have reached, I'm going to call it, you know, a million people. The next day, it might only reach 100,000. So if, if people are getting paid by the amount of views or the amount of people they reach, of course this has tremendous impact on people's personal economy and on the way they operate on, the, on their daily lives. So in, in my personal view, what, what is currently not being talked about or addressed as much is 
how much of an impact big platforms have on normal people when they change the way they analyze content or the way they, they distribute the, the content based on their algorithm changes. Does that make sense? Well, I think something that I, I think about a lot and that we think about a lot at Remezclas, sometimes there are conversations that we think are um, really self-evident or that people have been talking about or aware of for a really long time, um, only to find that we are sort of in a, in a smaller niche or bubble. We were actually just talking about this uh, in the green room with Marty um, and talking about how, you know, People like Janelle have been writing and talking about Afro-Latinidad since, you know, 2012, 2013, advocating for more visibility. Um, Latino outlets have been talking about it. But, you know, when you have someone like Amara on Love & Hip Hop blow it up to a national level, suddenly you realize, like, I thought this was a conversation that wasn't really being swept under the rug as much or that at least had attained a certain level um, of visibility. And really it hadn't. It was still in its own kind of pocket. So it's a little hard to answer the question because I think for us, sometimes we think certain things um, are, are more at the forefront than they are at a more, I guess, national level or at a bigger scale, um, particularly when it comes to the intersecting identities that make up um, Latinos. Um, uh, so, so that's one thing. I think something else that you know nobody's talking about and that I think about, and not to get too heady with it, is uh, you know we've spent a lot of time as an outlet pushing back against stereotypes um, in terms of of what defines being Latino or Latina or Latinx. Um, and saying, you know, it's not about language and it's not about the music you listen to and it's not about the country you're from and it's not about what your religion is. Um, and so we've done a lot of what it's not, what it's not, what it's not, what it's not. And at a certain point, it's like, well, then what is it? <laughs> like legit, what is it? Do we need that term? Is it, does it exist? I mean, I, I can't deny that there are things that connect us, you know, a, a, across this community and diaspora, but... Um, but they're not none of the sort of traditional um, markers that like a sociologist would use to define an, eth an ethnic group. Um, so and and as our community continues to evolve and pushes back against these labels um, and these more sort of binary ways of thinking, I ask myself like, well, what is the future of this identity? Is it really a, a, an identity at all? I don't know. No one's really talking about that. I don't have the answer to that. Um, but that's something that I that I do think about. Um, as far as as far as uh, I'm concerned, the challenge is is um, tapping back into uh, you know obviously it's great when our forum is able to you know really put in front of the uh, the audience the different issues that we deal with, but just continuing to find a way that we can talk about current issues in an entertaining way that you guys would tune into because although a lot of people talk about Oh, you know, they they like to they like you guys like to be entertained. You guys like to be entertained. So how do we find a way to where we can marry the two and find entertaining ways to talk about these current things? You know, because love and hip hop is entertaining in a lot of ways, but we were able to somehow put in the forefront a very honest issue within our community. So the challenge is continuing to find a marriage between the two, something that keeps you guys tuned in, but also puts a voice into what's important. So that's an everyday challenge, you know, uh, because I want to make sure that although I'm making entertaining television, I'm also leaving an imprint and um, leaving some type of something to look forward to or something to like learn from. So that's personally my challenge and what it is that I do. So... 
And I definitely want to quickly add, um, look at the intersections because some something that I think we we naturally want to highlight things, but I also think sometimes we can get into the tokenism versus normalizing conversation. And so something I often think about is, okay, so yes, we might be talking, I'll use the example of like Afro-Latinidad, but are we going into the gender on top of, so like in speaking about intersectional identity, like are, where are we talking about trans Afro-Latinx folks, right? Like where, like, we need to sort of go deep sometimes in a normalizing way, not in a tokenizing way. Like, oh, so-and-so, you know, like essentially not playing into certain stereotypes. Not that we intentionally do that, but I also feel like sometimes because we can be the first in highlighting certain things, we're only doing the best that we can, and but we have to like also tap into the communities that we do highlight so that we can accurately showcase these intersections. We have a comment over here. Hi, um, I know that you asked the question about you know the blockchain and how to get paid and, and certain. Um, there's actually Patreon. Um, Patreon is a subscription membership um, opportunity that you could actually tap into where a lot of podcasters and even Twitch is actually tapping into and, and actually content creators are receiving money from that. So, so that's one way to actually do it. Just my comment. Do you have any other questions? I kind of wanted to ask a question. Um, sorry if it's something you covered and if you don't see me darting around the back of the room doing a lot of stuff. Um, you guys touched on decentralization. You've touched on specific uh, topics that can get clickbaity. You've talked about algorithms. You've talked about new models to monetize. Do you think in the next 10 years it would be a re- democratization of how content is absorbed where, for example, um, a new platform can start talking about a very specific thing such as transgender, Latinx, Afro-Latinidad. And that can usher in a whole new wave of people that says, you know what, my roommate in college was that, but I'm someone from a completely different spectrum. And then that opens the floodgates, right? Kind of a blind spot where all these all the content is absorbed. Do you think in the future with new technologies that re-democratization of it will allow companies like yourselves that are thought-leading companies, captain of industries, take a risk on things that are like that? Because it won't fit the model. It won't fit a model of like, that's gonna monetize, that's not gonna touch this. That is a hashtag that shows no traction. I mean, short and sweet, I mean, I think for what we do, we, we do break that mold, you know, you know, reality, at least for reality television, I think if there's enough interest in, you know, which there's always going to be interest in people's stories and in what they do. So I think, you know, at least for what we do, we continue trying to break that, you know, module of what's been popular. Cause if we would, if, if we were to follow that, we wouldn't be where we are today, you know, in our numbers. So I think, um, you know, and it's going to continue to grow and continue to evolve. And there are going to be other shows and other um, forums that talk about other things that we possibly may not, that's going to create a bigger conversation. So I do think it's going to be continue forward movement, you know, and as long as our stories are still important to people and we're still living our, 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 our truths and stuff, I think there's always going to be a way for people to ingest that and money eventually to be made. I agree. I have faith that good storytelling, excellent storytelling will prevail. Yeah. Um, 
regardless of what a system is um, uh, to sustain it. Uh, you know, in our experience, uh, we've seen a lot of places come and go over the last 10 years um, when they were trying to, um, when maybe the business objectives um, came before the um, the mission or the storytelling objectives. Uh, you know, when maybe people were like, oh, this is a market to reach, and so I'm going to create a product that will let me, like, sell ads to this market versus, like, I want to tell great stories and I'll figure out how to, um, you know, create a business that sustains that. Um, they don't last. They come and go. Um, and so I believe that if, you know, it may not be easy. It hasn't been easy for us. I'll be totally honest. Um, uh, but I believe that uh, if, you, if you're in it for the right reasons and to, to really tell great stories and that's the thing that you put first, um, that that finds a way to, um, to kind of rise to the top. The, the, the way I see it is, is if, you, if you have a timeline, uh, you know, if you go back when, you know, broadcast uh, TV was, was, you know, in its peak, I think, you know, 50s through the 80s, uh, revenue and content was concentrated on just a few, right? You know, you call it the big five, and then, and then you know, cable, uh, you know, came a reality, and then content started to be put out there in, you know, many more channels in different ways, and actors and content creators, or whatever you wouldn't call them back then, you know, they, instead of being a handful, there were more and more. And nowadays, what we have is an immense amount of different platforms, and the you know the revenue that used to be concentrated in just a few now is being uh, disseminated across multiple platforms. So if you if you project that line of thought into the future, what what to me it, what to me seems to be that that will happen is the trend will continue in a way that big platforms that nowadays concentrate any type of power uh, with regards to distribution of content and also concentration of uh, revenues. Those were those are also going to be disseminated, uh, so that and to go back to your question, if, you know, if, if I have affinity of certain topics and there's communities or in certain topics and with regards to content creation, oh, should they also be partnered with other content creation, uh, you know, groups that might be, you know, coming up? The way I see it is the uh, democrat. Sorry, I'm Spanish speaking, so democratization of the content would just continue to evolve in a way that in the future, it's gonna be hard for any big platform or big concentrator of power to manage or to determine what topic is relevant or not relevant. Because the power of the, 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 the content holding will be distributed among the population or all those who consume the content. And the revenues of all that content created will also be distributed in a way across not only the creators or those that, that sell the content, right? The transactors or brokers, in this case, you know, sales teams, ad sales teams. It'll also be distributed to those that watch or consume the content. So imagine this. Imagine being paid for watching content, right, con that, that you love, at the same time, that revenue is also being distributed to the content creator and also distributed to the, 
to the person who got those two together. So meaning the broker, in this case, a salesperson. So that's how I see the future. Now, is any one person or any one network going to dominate this space? I, I personally don't believe so. There might be certain periods of time, but because technology will allow everyone to have access to e everything, um, again, in a, in a blockchain thinking model, uh, model thinking, uh, it, it'll allow people to tap into different topics regardless of whether or not you know, constrained or, right. or, or limited yeah. or concentrated or, you know. Algorithm popped up. Exactly. That's, that's how I personally see the future. Just because, not because I think this is going to happen, just because of the trend that's been happening over the past century. And it's continuing to happen right now. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, how are we on time? We're good because we would be hanging out unless anybody wants them to stop. Okay, I just you wasn't guys, sure. Are you feeling good? Yeah, I think we got okay. another question over there. Alrighty. Testing. Yep. Hi, um, thanks so much for coming. My name is Brittany Ortiz, and my question is mainly for Madi. I feel like you're my best friend in my head a little bit because I just I just moved here from Miami after graduating from SU too. You. I actually interviewed you when I was a a sophomore. You remember me? <laughs> I feel special. Love this. Love <laughs> I feel this. Special. And I'm Cuban, so on top yes. of that. Yes. <laughs> but um, so for my senior project, I did a mini documentary on the perceptions of women in hip hop that I'm now trying to transition into a podcast. Um, especially for you and loving hip hop, I know that in the beginning of its stages and even now today, it gets a lot of negative backlash for not being progressive for people of color, especially for the women featured on the show. Now, of course, that's not the full image of the show and a testament to that is being how long it's been on air. Well, for someone who is just getting into the game of creating content, especially for women of color in hip hop, already there's so many stereotypes with that. How do you deal with balancing the criticism that you receive on the show? Um, Great question. Thank you. Uh, uh, it's, it's not easy because a lot of people just have a very uh, fragmented sense of what we deal with on an everyday basis. You know, you guys just see, you know, three minute, uh, clips of hour-long conversations and um, as much as you know that we have great people in our community we have scientists and doctors and pediatricians but you know we also can't deny that there are women in our in our world that have gone through other phases you know and have gone through other struggles and other stories so I think um, I think I look at the bright side of the fact that we're helping you know we're telling stories of women who may be in a situation but get through a situation because these women, they'd be going through it whether or not our cameras are there. Do you know what I mean? Like we do our best as much as people may have a sense of like, oh, like this is a bunch of the stuff is scripted. It's not, you know, like these are just stories that you guys may not know about. But especially with someone who's been working in the music business before I even got in television, I was firsthand witnessing women who have gone through some real deep stuff with the men that they are working with, you know, or the men that they're dealing with. And it's about how to get through that into something else and monetizing it at the end of the day, because you're on a show to make money. You're on a show to, you know, leverage your platform and be able to do other things. And I think our show in a way, yeah, the women may start because they find out their men cheated or they find out some BS, but they get through it. 
and you see the women rise and you see the women start doing businesses and start doing other things and leveraging their platform, you know, I think. And we have a lot of great success stories of women who were able to push their struggles and, and make a name for themselves. You know, we can, K. Michelle, Cardi, Amada, Remy, shit. I mean, I can just go down and down the list, you know. So I think we also can't deny the fact that as, you know, there are women that, you know, have gone through this stuff. And those are our stories and our struggles. And I'm, I think I relate to a lot of the women that are on the show. And I think that's what helps me in what I do and working with this show every single day is, I, whether it's myself or my mother or my friend or somebody that I know, I can relate to them because I know somebody has gone through some stuff like this and maybe they didn't pull through it, but the one girl on our show is getting through the BS. Do you know what I mean? So thank you so much. Thank you. Are there any other questions? Oh, there's one on the left-hand side. Hello. Um, so speaking about those things that nobody's talking, there are like two facts, right? So in our countries, we have many problems that's known for everybody. And then there's other fact that is like, of course, social media and the content right now has a lot of power. What do you guys think of the responsibility that Latino content, content makers have back in our country? And something very simple, for example, like tackling corruption or you know, those kind of things that are like urgent to do something about. Well, I think um, the term content creator is very broad, right? Um, so something like tackling corruption. I mean, there are a number of ways, I guess, that uh, that content can do that. Um, you know, there's investigative journalism, and we know that um, investigative journalists in a lot of Latin American countries are under assault. Um, uh, it's a very risky job in many cases. Uh, and so that's obviously one way um, for uh, a place like Remezcla, which as I mentioned, you know, is not a hard news outlet. I think we try to find other ways. So, you know, we have a film section. Um, can we talk about documentaries that will help you learn about, you know, what's going on uh, in Mexico's, you know, drug war? Or um, can we can we highlight um, people in, in music who are um, incorporating uh, a political reality or um, who are, you know, marrying their artwork to to push for social justice. We definitely try to do that. Um, but I think it also really ties back to, like, what is the type of content that you're, you're doing um, and, and what is the audience that you're trying to talk to. But I do think that, you know... Um, uh, it is obviously a core tenet of journalism to speak truth to power and to to try to expose corruption and justice um, whenever possible. I also think it speaks to um, allyship with citizen journalism because in our respective countries too, sometimes, I mean, we know this, you can be killed for shedding light on some things that are happening. Not to say that you as a person of color, in particular, black may not get killed here for bringing light to certain issues, but there are some liberties that we have, and I think that's where we can really forge the support and allyship for people in our respective countries and people here. So if you see some tweets being disseminated, you might have the liberties at, in this country to investigate it, to retweet, to share. Like, that literally is not possibly, you know, on ABC or NBC, but that one action of bolstering what's happening 
is still a form of content creation and could lead to a documentary or it could lead to some other forms of content creation. So I think there's real opportunities for us to work between our respective countries and the U.S. in supporting our narrative across the board. As, as mentioned when, when we started uh, talking here today, uh, at Cultura Colectiva, one of our missions is to revindicate the image of the Latino, right? That's, that's full stop right there. So if these content creators in their respective countries are creating content in a truthful, professional way that is not fake news, right, that is legitimate, and, and, and has an impact in communities beyond their physical borders, we as, a, we as a firm, as a company, we support that. We believe that that is what needs to happen, right? So if somebody either from Brazil to Colombia or even El Salvador or Honduras, um, where you know, murder and, and you know, drug lords and all these things happen, and, and it is heart news, um, if, if people, you know, boots on the ground are doing something about it and they wanna be, they want people to know about this. If they do good research and they, if they write in a, in, a, in a professional way that can be consumed by everyone across the continent, we believe we, we need more of these people. We are actually actively looking to find people that can create relevant content, not only in the US, but in different countries across the continent. So um, I wanna... Sorry, oh. no, go, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. So we actually are, are over on time. Um, and I wanna thank each and every one of the panelists for dropping some serious gems, some tangible insight that you can take with you to actually administer into your respective content creation outlets, et cetera. Um, so let's give our, our panelists a, a round of applause.